Hey, it's Leah. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to tell you about this other show called Stuff the British Stole. It's from CBC Podcast and Australia Radio National, and it's got all the story elements I love. It's got colonial theft. It's got museums denying that theft. It's got intrigue. It's got jokes by Australians. Join host Mark Fresnel as he picks one artifact and takes you on the wild, evocative, sometimes funny, and often tragic adventure of how it got to where it is today. Check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. This is the Secret Life of Canada Crash Course, a quick bit of history. So today's focus is... Canadian superheroes. Okay, so like uh, like water protectors and doctors and the teens who are working the front lines of every grocery store in the country? No, I meant like Wolverine. You know, like made-up superheroes. Those people are all great, obviously, but I want to look at the history behind the made-up ones and see if they can tell us maybe a bit about ourselves or or how we see ourselves or actually how everybody else in the world sees us. Right. Okay. I was going to say, aren't most quote-unquote Canadian superheroes created by Americans? Like, I think Wolverine is, right? Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, Wolverine is a Marvel comic book superhero. He first appeared in 1974 and he was created by Americans. Now, I'm going to briefly describe what happens with this character. Please don't send me emails about his origin story because I know it's long. This is like the brief one. We are going to get the most emails about this that we've ever gotten. I know, this is the most emails. (laughs) But he is a mutant. He was born in cold Lake, Alberta in 1882-ish. He has bone claws that emerge from the back of his hands, and these eventually get covered in a metal called adamantium. He also, for a time, lives in the Yukon, and then, of course, there's this period where he goes in the wilderness among the wolves. During World War II, he serves the government in the Canadian military, and, of course, he eventually joins the X-Men, And those X-Men movies are where many non-comic book fans may have been introduced to him. Also, I forgot one of his storylines is that he lives with the Blackfoot or Siksika people and has a girlfriend who is named Silver Fox. I mean, in comic books, women are frequently treated as objects. So this isn't, you know, uh, this isn't really anything new. But I just took a quick Google here. And I just have to say, she may need some warmer clothes for those prairie winters. I I really don't think that cape's going to do much for her. You know, we're going to get into this a bit later, but there are a lot of female Canadian comic book heroes. They mostly are in, you know, cold places in the Arctic and stuff. And they're always just wearing, you know, a bra and some tight pants. Yeah, but like thigh-high boots for some reason. Yeah, and no gloves, which really bothers me. You're such a mom. (laughs) Where's your hat? (laughs) Listen, I have this thing about a lot of comic book movies and just movies in general where people are in a winter scene and no one is wearing gloves and they're like scaling mountains with no gloves in the middle of winter. And it just takes me out of it because it doesn't make any sense. Like, right. Obviously. Okay. It's a thing. Yeah. So Silver Fox, she has retractable claws, which is really cool. But the funny thing is that one of her other superpowers is that she doesn't age. So, you know, men get to fly and move mountains and women, you stay pretty friends. So we did an informal poll about this and we asked listeners what their favorite indigenous or Canadian characters were. And we got responses like this from Steve Fisher who voted for Captain Newfoundland. Captain Newfoundland is the spirit of Newfoundland. He lives in the hearts of all of us. His ancestors came from beyond the stars, settled on the great continent of Atlantis. 
Today, only the tip of Atlantis survives, and Captain Newfoundland watches over the island to protect and advance the race of man in the old world and the new. I really like the theme for this one, the 70s disco vibe. It's I find it very catchy. And it's very Newfoundland for some reason. The story around how Captain Newfoundland came to be created is closely linked to its history. The comic started off being published in the 1970s by the Newfoundland Herald. And it was created by Filipino-American artist Danny Bulandi and Newfoundlander Scott Sterling and his father and the mastermind behind the character, Jeff Sterling. Okay, and who was Jeff Sterling? So... Jeffrey William Sterling was born in St. John's in 1921. This was before Newfoundland was even a province. Right. Newfoundland had said no to joining Canada while all the other provinces were joining during the late 1860s and early 1900s. Yeah. And Jeff Sterling was one of the people who didn't want to join. He advocated for a closer relationship with the U.S. But when Newfoundland became Canada's 10th province, he really benefited. He ended up making a fortune and building up a media empire with his newspaper and in 1955 started Newfoundland's first TV station and the first 24-hour station in the world, which they called NBC, the Newfoundland Broadcasting Company. That's pretty amazing. They started the first 24-hour TV station? Okay. And so did they not know that there was already a famous NBC in the U.S. at this time, or did they care? Yeah, no, they did. So eventually they ended up changing it to NTV, which of course is still around. All of this afforded Jeff quite a lifestyle. And he traveled and hung out with other rich people. And what were rich people all into in the 1960s and 1970s? Bell bottoms. Wearing bell bottoms. Feathered hair. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Drugs. Too many drugs. Bad choices. Right. Um, Swinging. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And questionable home decor that we're all sort of struggling with. Like, you know, if you buy a house, you have to like pull up the shag or there's like linoleum over beautiful hardwood. hardwood. Yes. Yes. So, yes, all of those things and mysticism, meditation, reincarnation and really commodifying South Asian culture and beliefs, basically. I mean, there are pictures of him with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. He spent a lot of time in New Delhi and he became the go to guy in Newfoundland for this kind of stuff and started programming meditation shows and chanting on his TV and radio stations. Sometimes Jeff would go on TV himself and spend hours telling the people of Newfoundland about his mystical beliefs. Newfoundlanders also have fabled stories that he would call into NTV in the middle of a news broadcast and make them play an episode of Inspector Gadget. There's also a story that he tried to inject gold into his veins. Wait, that's... What? (laughs) Yeah, no, he was, I mean, who knows if it's true, right? Like, this is all, you know, he's become larger than life, but it really gives you a sense of of him at this time. Late Night on NTV was described in a Vice article as, You will float across obscure vistas of hypersaturated alien worlds, soundtracked by psychedelic disco, while flashing blocks of text admonish you to adjust your mind, adjust your life, adjust your sex. Huh. <laughs> I feel like that could be interpreted in so many ways. So many ways. Especially so the many adjust ways. your sex part. Totally, totally. I would love to read feedback letters. Like I can just imagine Newfoundlanders uh, writing and being like, you know, where's Coronation Street? What is this? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know. I don't know why Coronation Street. I hope we don't get letters about this now because I know Coronation Street fans are like equally as excitable as comic book fans. You know what they remind me of? 
and with an E fans. Shh, don't even. Oh my God, yes. Woo, those and with an E fans. We hear you, and with an E fans. We hear you. Thank you. Anyway, I'm telling you all of this because all of this mysticism was also at the core of Captain Newfoundland. He was a mystical being who loved Newfoundland and tried to bring enlightenment to the world. Sterling was really afraid that Newfoundland would lose its autonomy when it joined Canada. So he created the character to be the strength of Newfoundland, combined with the core belief of consciousness. And that is how we ended up with Captain Newfoundland. I was really not expecting that at all that like <laughs> really went in a direction that was unexpected for me so that's right? great yes so captain newfoundland came out of newfoundland wanting to stay independent uh-huh i just wanted to take a break to tell you about another cbc podcast i think you might like it's called death in crypto land it's a true story about a crypto tycoon his secret past his sudden demise and an online sleuth's obsession to unravel the truth behind his mysterious company. You can check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. So what do some of the other superheroes tell us about? Well, I think that out of some of the early experiences of Jewish Canadians would come one, if not the most iconic superhero of all time. Okay, I think I know where this is going, but go on. If we go back a couple of decades to the 30s and 40s, many of the characters that we know and love were created in this kind of golden age of illustration and animation. Right. New studios like Warner Brothers were creating icons like Bugs Bunny. On this other place called Disney created this guy named Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. The National Film Board, they were uh, a generator for many new styles of animation right here in Canada. Yes, and in 1933, it would be Toronto-born Joe Shuster, along with his creative partner, American Jerry Siegel, that would create Superman. Siegel was the scriptwriter, and Shuster was the illustrator. The two Jewish teens met in 1930 and were unpopular nerds that loved sci-fi, so... Some things never change. No. <laughs> Pretty cool guys. Pretty cool guys. <laughs> That's terrible. I loved comic books growing up. I'm right, right. here with you. <laughs> no, we, we're here with them. When Joe Shuster was a kid, he would actually deliver newspapers for the Toronto Daily Star, which we now call the Toronto Star. When he created the world of... Of Superman, he shortened the Toronto Daily Star to Daily Star and made it Clark Kent's workplace. Right. Clark Kent being the reporter and alter ego of Superman. Right. Eventually, the paper name was changed from Daily Star to the Daily Planet, and Schuster would create the city skyline of Metropolis after Toronto, even though now people think it's a stand-in for New York. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Superman is hella Canadian, yeah. Yes, he is, and he's also hella Jewish. As I mentioned, both of Superman's creators were Jewish, and Joe Schuster's partner, Siegel, wrote that they created Superman during the Great Depression in what he would describe as a hopeless time. The Great Depression was one of the worst economic crashes in history, lasting from 1929 to 1939. Millions of people all over the world suffered and were plunged into destitution. Yeah, and then in 1939, World War II began and would result in the murder of six million Jewish people and the displacement and upheaval of many other Jewish lives by the hands of Hitler and the Nazis during the Holocaust. Siegel said, We were compelled to create Superman after hearing and reading of oppression and slaughter of helpless oppressed Jews in Nazi Germany, out of an urge to do something. 
Some have made the case that Superman's origin story aligns with the experiences of many Jewish refugees and immigrants. Superman's parents are desperate, and they send him away from his home world of Krypton, which is being decimated, like many Jewish parents were forced to do with their children during the war. Harry Broad, who wrote the book Superman is Jewish, writes, Can it really be coincidental that Kal-El's original Kryptonian name, spoken with a Hebrew pronunciation, sounds like the Hebrew word for all is God or all for God? Superman is raised not only by adoptive parents, but in a new adoptive homeworld where he has to assimilate and disguise himself as the Midwestern newspaper reporter Clark Kent. Like many who fled to North America, some Jewish people felt that they had to hide their roots to survive. Superman really yearns to be accepted and live his life, but when confronted with injustice, he is compelled to throw off his disguise and become the greatest superhero of all time. This really puts a whole new perspective on Superman and also clears up the age-old argument of who is better, Batman or Superman. I mean, exactly. oh God, we're going to get so No, I don't care. <laughs> it's always been Superman because Superman actually has powers where Batman just buys all of his suits and stuff. I never understood that argument. So I feel like we've oh answered. God, we're going to get no, it. No, the answer is so Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am taking a nonpartisan stance on Superman versus Batman. I'm not. It's Superman. I'm co- yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. It's fine. And, you know, while Joe Schuster and Siegel created an icon, they really got mistreated by DC Comics. Both of the creators never made really any money from the creation due to the fact they accepted around $130 for Superman in 1938. Both would go through hell and years of legal battles to get credit and money for their creation. They weren't even credited as the creators in many places for years, but by 1975, due to all the negative publicity and years of trying, DC finally gave them credit and agreed to pay them a pension of $20,000 for life. 20 grand for life for creating Superman. I mean, just, you know, all the money that you think of these places making, they would have made so much, like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Anyway, it's robbery. It was. And, you know, Joe Schuster's eyesight had deteriorated by that point because, you know, he was always an illustrator for hire. And so he he wasn't able to draw anymore. He had to take other jobs and never really was able to relax off of any money from Superman. When he passed away in 1992, he was in debt and DC Comics offered to pay them off only if his family agreed to never file an ownership suit for Superman. I feel like this was really left out of that Canadian Heritage Minute. Do you remember that? Like, you never heard any of this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lovely clip, but it ends on such a high. And I think it's important to know, especially for creators now, that you have to be careful and fight for things. You know, here is a clip of the Superman Heritage Minute on the life of Toronto cartoonist Joe Schuster. No one's going to read a comic strip about a strongman in tights, Joe. It'll never fly. Fly, no. But he can leap over tall buildings. Oh, wow, yeah. See what your cousin Frank says in Toronto. Wait, wait, Lois. I've got something for you. Take it. It's a gift. You never know. It might be worth something someday. So Superman had a big resurgence in 1978 with the Superman movies, starring the best Superman of all time, Christopher Reeves. Henry Cavill is amazing, but Christopher Reeves 
he has the heart, you know, he had that heart. Anyway, during the 70s and 80s, it was a big time in the creation of a lot of distinctly Canadian superheroes and also for Indigenous and Native American superheroes. Right. The character Shaman, of course, the indigenous character is called Shaman, of course. You know, what else are you doing? Anyway, um, <clears throat> from the all-Canadian uh, superhero squad Alpha Flight. This was a big deal at the time. Alpha Flight was created by John Byrne, who is a UK and American illustrator who studied at Alberta College of Art and Design in Calgary. So Alpha Flight is a Canadian team of superheroes, most who have superhuman powers and are organized by the Canadian government's fictional department H. I read the first one in the series a couple days ago and Pierre Trudeau is in it, which is hilarious. Um, oh, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really good. Um, they make jokes about how low the Canadian dollar is compared to the American dollar. Like it's, it's so pretty nerdy. low hanging fruit. It is. It is. But you know, but that's why you can kind of tell that it's written by Americans because it's like uh, maple syrup, the dollar. All the things that we don't talk about. Exactly. <laughs> All the jokes we never make. Right. And okay, Shaman's real name is Dr. Michael Two Youngman, and he is supposed to be from the Satina Nation, and his story follows a lot of tropes we see in Indigenous characters still to this day. His grandfather wants him to become a mystic, because that's a position one can hold. Um, and he <laughs> says no, and his grandfather dies, and so he goes to Banff and gets some fudge. No, just kidding. He doesn't. He goes and he gets the skull of his grandfather instead of what? fudge. What? Yeah, it's very weird. Yes. It's very strange. He then has visions and he gets into magic. <laughs> okay, he takes a bunch of mystical items from an enchanted medicine bag and then becomes the shaman. Ta-da! Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I notice a lot of characters like Shaman don't engage in technology as much. You know, no cool suit with special powers. It's more, I had a vision and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, we need more lasers. Our people need more lasers. <laughs> and like, and suits that let us walk through walls and stuff like that. Because then we could go into museums and get all of our shit back. <laughs> And that would be a superhero indeed. That would be a superhero. I, yeah, like Captain Repatriation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be my superhero power. I'd sneak into the ROM <laughs> and take all the stuff back. Be invisible, sneak in, take all the, take stuff, all the and stuff, and then fly around and kind of be like a repatriation Santa Claus where yeah. you just yeah. drop the stuff down into the communities yes. that... It originally came from. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway. I mean, the rest of Alpha Flight are really hilarious and they really try to represent Canada. So the team consists of Aurora from Quebec, Guardian from London, Ontario, Marina from Newfoundland, who is a fish-like alien. She's not human. North Star's also from Quebec. There's Puck, who's from Saskatchewan. Snowbird, who... Uh, this character, it's, it's like a half-god, half-human from Resolute Bay. They describe her in the original ones with the E-word, so that's bad. Oh, and, yeah. you know, like, it's, again, you know, steeped in mysticism. <laughs> like, she's not, she doesn't that. play for a, a sports team? Oh, man. 
They better change that name. Then there's Talisman, who's actually Michael Two Youngman's daughter. She's Shaman's daughter. Vindicator is from Calgary, and she has a special fancy suit, and she hangs with the Guardian, who also has a fancy suit. And then last but not least, there is Sasquatch what? from BC, who is, of course, a scientist who turns into a Sasquatch due to gamma radiation. Yeah, we forgot to mention that a few episodes ago in our Sasquatch uh, episode that, uh, yeah, it's about gamma rays. It's actually about ga- gamma radiation. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I also left out that Wolverine is also was briefly part of Alpha Flight. Now there's so many cool illustrators creating new indigenous characters for major places like DC and Marvel. Many listeners told us about characters like Equinox, Warpath and X-Men and Forge. They're good, but none of these illustrators, they're, they're not indigenous. Someone wrote to us to tell us that they loved Haida illustrator Michael Yaglanis, who has penned graphic novels like Red. Yeah, there are a ton of Canadian and Indigenous illustrators and animators working today. Before we go, I want to tell you about one person who's really exciting, and that is 23-year-old Calloway digital artist and illustrator Dale Kublui-Tuck. Their work is about futurisms, character design, Inuit legends, and positive LGBTQ plus representation. And I think that's the best kind of fantasy, the stuff that is rooted in something real. Right. So, yeah, let's make those movies. I want to see Dale's latest uh, blockbuster soon. Me too. Marvel DC. Get on it. To see Dale's work, you can check out their Instagram at not, N-O-T, Dale, D-A-Y-L-E. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.